Great. Super excited to have everyone here. Happy Friday, everyone. Woo! All right, I'm going to look at my first note. Remember to introduce Zerb at the beginning. Daniel, our uh, great marketer, has reminded me that this is also uh, creating awareness of Zerb. I get excited about just interviewing people, but uh, Zerb is a product design company, and we've been in business since 98. And so what we do is help companies solve product design problems. And what we also try to do is find other smart people to hobnob with and introduce them into a community to help them uh, share some of their ideas. Uh, you're very fortunate today to have Tina with us, and I'll introduce her in a second. So super excited and pumped to have her uh, from Slack. Uh, I'm also supposed to announce that we have uh, foundation meetups once a month. So we have one on uh, August 16th, uh, pizza and beer. Uh, 18th, which is right there, it says 18th. I didn't uh, see that right. So uh, 18th, uh, pizza and beer, it's really fun. Uh, Foundation is an open source framework that we've been uh, building and uh, it's touched by millions of designers. So the team there is really excited to share some of the new things they're working on. Uh, and also the next soapbox is uh, Amanda Lynn, uh, who is the head of design at Asana. So again, another great uh, designer to be able to talk about the sort of juxtaposition of engineering product and, and design and, and how that works. So uh, we're very fortunate to be able to, to speak to such talented people. So let's jump us over to our main attraction, uh, Tina Chen. So Tina Chen is the lead, design lead at Slack. Uh, she's been there, uh, you said, just over a year uh, and uh, is working uh, with designers there to, to shape the product. Uh, she is formerly of uh, Google and also Medium, so two other uh, prominent uh, social platforms. And near and dear to my heart, she also went to Stanford. So she went through the Symbolic uh, Systems program, which is, uh, you got to be a super nerd there and be super smart. So uh, she has both a mixture of a design artistic background with a very, what I would call, analytical mind to get through that program and the rigors of what they expect from you. So super excited to introduce uh, Tina Chen. <laughs> All right. So we'll put you on that side, yes. Um, we'll save questions for at the end of the uh, program, give you 10 minutes, and I think she'll stick around for just a few minutes uh, to, to answer some. Uh, so I think uh, let's just talk a little bit personally about you, because I think it's interesting to know your background. I know looking at some of your portfolio and um, your, your artwork, you're very talented there. And I know uh, part of my background, I, I was an artist and I didn't really know about design. And how did you get into symbolic systems and sort of where did those two worlds collide in this idea of design or what actually you could do with design or even as a career in design? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm not one of those people who really knew what I wanted to do early on. I just knew I liked a lot of different things and... Oh, these people all know what they want to do, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I've always loved sketching and drawing and just being creative. I did a lot of dance and you know, just like self-expression and all that. And then I got to Stanford and I was like, well, I should probably figure out what I want to do. I pick a major and stuff. And so Symbolic Systems is actually like five minors, so that was very attractive. So I was like, I could study a little bit of everything. Um, and also like it had a component of really kind of understanding how people's brains work and also like how do computers work and system symbols and all that and the patterns that you can find in those places and also like how different... Uh, fields of study overlap, right? So I really was interested in them, like how does like art overlap with like psychology, and how does that overlap with like artificial intelligence, and you know, like what are the intersections that are interesting between that? So that's kind of how I fell into it, and also like I took a human-computer interaction class, and I was like, this is the, that was when the light bulb went off. I was like, oh, 
Like you study people, you look at what they need, you figure out a solution, you prototype it, and you present it in like, you know, 10 weeks, which is, so it wasn't great, like some of the stuff we came up with, but it was like, I was like, that is what I want to do. And that's, you know, it was a path to, um, I guess, eventually design, yeah. But I worked as a researcher, actually, um, when I, I interned as a researcher at Google. So my very first exposure into tech was like from a research point of view, like very much from understanding how people think. And then I'm like, I actually want to design solutions for, for these people. Right. So again, you're super smart. You do all the things. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do all the things, yes. <laughs> um, so in sort of that transition to school, and uh, you know, obviously Google is a prominent company in the, the Bay Area. Uh, I know your first job uh, was in the ad world, uh, or at least research in the ad world. Or uh, it was yeah. So when I when I graduated, I joined as a designer. So okay. I joined the ads team at Google. Right. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about this world where you're in like Professorville and everyone's hypothetical with like solving these uh, big broad problems, and then you go into your first job and and they're like, we need this one link to work really good or something. Was it? What was that experience like learning to be in a professional environment doing this as a career or at least trying to understand yeah. how do you fit in? But there was a lot of learning because at that point I was like, well, like, am I, I'm not really qualified to be a designer. Like, I feel like I learned some things in school, but like, what do I really know? So a lot of it was just like, okay, I just like, absorb as much as possible both around like, how do designers think? You know, what are you know, engineers trying to do? What are PMs trying to do? And like, kind of just how that role fits together. Um, and I was really fortunate that I was actually on um, an ads team that was working on an overall redesign of AdWords, which is like the primary like money maker for Google, which is like the system that uh, advertisers go into, and they like they make campaigns, they like you know structure all of this stuff, and they go into this, you know, um, they go into this uh, competition to see like who wins the ads, and so it's a very very complex system. So a lot of that was like, okay, crap, I need to learn how to be like an advertiser because you need to learn all that stuff. And then that team was was really really smart. I learned a lot from them in terms of like, you know, how do you structure a fairly ambitious project? How do you break it into like, you know, quarterly goals? And with that, like for each one, we would have like a brainstorming session. We would break out into like, here are the different ways you could tackle that problem and then get to a point kind of working all collaboratively to like, okay, this feature, you go run with it, but you will get like, you, you know, the bones of it. So a lot of it was like, I got to own some pretty complicated things with a lot of support. And that was really great as a young designer. I learned so much from that team. Right. There's, there's sort of this transition, or at least in my experience where you're in school, which is all hypothetical, and you might have a group project to like, your whole career is group oriented. There's no like individual performance oh, yeah. that works. How, talk to me a little bit about that in the design process, because you know, you're trying to get grades, you're trying to get problem sets done, and all of a sudden now you have to figure out how do you collaborate with people to get something done. Was that something Google taught you, or is that a thing you just sort of kind of picked up on, or? Yeah, I think you have to think about what the goal is. Like, what is success? It's not just like you getting a design out there, like the thing that you want. It's like, is this the right thing for the customer? Is this appropriate for the team? Like, how do you get, getting feedback from other people is very important. Like, how do you tell when something is good and done? Like, when do you advocate for it versus, you know? So a lot of that, I think, you learn. I mean, like, everyone knows how to work with people to some extent, because that's, you know, life being hard to go through life by yourself. But it's, uh, it's I, I think I learned a lot just, by actually having to execute on something and trying to move fast and like make decisions, like right. at a point are you like this decision I, I feel good with, it, and it's not just me; it's like my entire team or these designers and these PMs or engineers. So somewhere along the line, this big monolithic ad thing was exciting, except that then then there's just all these other social uh, platforms and things that are now part of what I, I'd say has probably been the second half of your career so far. What was that transition from like, hey, here's some 
add problems to solve, and then, hey, let's look at how people interact and exchange perhaps feedback. What, what got you involved in that, or what was that transition like to, to move into a social Yeah. Platform? So after working on ads for a while, I well one, it there's some real complex things in there. So there's a lot of just like it's just something your brain hurts trying to keep all this information inside and like structure pivot tables and stuff. So I was like, I need a break. I want to work on something that I personally would use and actually am very uh, closer to, like you know, to my art. And so you know, a lot of that was uh, I wanted to join the consumer team on Google and work on um, Blogger was a writing platform and publishing and things like that. So um, yeah, they. Had, they were looking for a designer um, to redesign bloggers. So I was like, yes, that sounds really exciting on all kinds of levels. So yeah, I wanted a change of a different product because I think I would learn a lot. That's the first designer I've heard use pivot tables. That's pretty good. So. Oh my god, so many pivot. I also worked on Google Analytics, which is all funnels and pivot tables, which yeah. is amazing and very powerful, but also like your brain just goes. So uh, in, in thinking about sort of the design problems, uh, uh, what was that transition like, or and thinking, uh, perhaps like, where's the main focus? Like, obviously, in ads, the sort of the advertisers are kind of the the the, the person you're solving for, but it's really this in person. But they're not really part of the equation, mm -hmm. but they are. And then you switch to this creator, but maybe it's not the creator that's the real problem. It's the person consuming the content. Talk to us a little bit about sort of that sort of transition from like. Who are you solving problems for? And yeah, I would say um, there were a lot. There was a lot more kind of space to play with, like, who are you solving for it, and exactly how. Because, like, in ads, especially at Google, it was very, it was very rigid in terms of like this is the product, and we're just making it much more streamlined. Like, we're improving a lot of the UI, we're, we're simplifying some of the concepts. But for something like Blogger, we were looking at um, like microblogging. Like, where does Blogger fit in the ecosystem of like? There's like WordPress for like super like you know people who want to own their own domain. It's just they're like pretty professional. And then Tumblr, which is like super, super easy. And Blogger is kind of this thing in the middle. And so a lot of it was struggling to figure out like, what is our core user base? Like, who are these publishers? Do we want, do we like want to educate them and then send them out to WordPress, which is kind of what we were doing. Like we got them very successful, built them an audience. And then sent, they wanted more things. Like, should we build more powerful tools for them? Or should we go after like, you know, closer to Tumblr and, and simplify a lot of the, the things that made Blogger hard to set up or hard to use? Like we did a study where like, you know, People get very excited about blogging. They write their first posts, amazing, no one reads it. And then after like a week or two, they're like, they get discouraged. Or they get a successful audience and they realize they're not making money. Right. And they're like, well, I'm spending like, you know, 15 hours a week on this blog, but I'm not getting like money out of it. Like, do I keep investing? Do I stop? And if they stop, they feel really sad because like they failed. So a lot right. of it was around like, okay, how do we get these bloggers to feel successful? How do we define that? And there was a lot of there's a lot more like just room to kind of concept around that, which was really fun and also it was difficult because it was a different type of um, design exercise. So just in that transition to your next uh, uh, place at Medium, uh, Ev had started Blogger and obviously he was probably disconnected very much from uh, the, the Blogger platform. Mm -hmm. uh, and then moving over to his newest creation and working uh, with that platform in a different capacity, could you see sort of a different approach uh, between the two and how sort of that affected the way you were thinking about problems or design? Yeah, so Medium was trying to get the best of both worlds. It was kind of like the, the richness of longer form posting and the meaningfulness of someone willing to take the time to craft a, a thought that's really worthwhile and impactful, but also taking all the learnings from like Twitter, which is a very successful social network, which actually disseminates that into the right place and helps connect people. And you know, you're not starting a blog that's an island on its own. Um, 
you're like part of a network, even if you only write one thing. And so there was a lot of learnings that resonated with me when I talked to him about Medium, about like his overall vision. I was like, right. oh, it's a different way of approaching things. And it's also like, it was a great emphasis on design. Like everything was, felt very, very polished, professional. Like, um, you know, a lot of, I think the success Medium comes from the value of its design. Like its typography is absolutely beautiful. We spent, we spent a lot of time like making sure it was like the best typography on the internet and very appropriate. And so it was a thing where people resonated. They're like, oh, I want my words to look like that because, you know, people see that and they'll take it more seriously, you know, so. Right. Um, can you, in, in looking at a creation by a founder and blogger where you sort of probably have some remnants of the thinking of that person that initially created the work, and then seeing working with someone that's deeply involved in the product, could you see any of the things that were still in Blogger that were the original sort of pieces of the vision of, of connecting? Or do you think at a certain point, Google had kind of made it its own sort of vision yeah. and, and no longer sort of encapsulated, encapsulated that initial idea of the publishing idea? Um, I think. So Blogger as part of Google was mostly left on its, even the team was like fairly independent. And so I think it did retain a lot of the original vision, which was lot, less so much around the connect. Because like at that point, like the internet was connecting things. It was like you put something on the internet, like it's connected, right? That was the connection part. It was a lot about the ease of publishing. Because that time it was hard to like, you know, you have thoughts, you have things you want to put on the internet. It was actually like kind of hard to figure out where to do that. And Blogger like help lower that bar a lot to be like, you want to blog? Sign up, pick a template, write your first post. Like, you know, five minutes, you know, you're ready to go. So I think it really embodied that vision really well. And I think that actually hasn't changed too much. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and thinking about sort of this transition for long-form communication at uh, Medium and being able to work in sort of, uh, uh, you know, long form, you, you kind of switched to, to Slack, but uh, you know, I'd be curious in talking more about the blogger experience a little bit more because um, many people here have seen Google's, you know, invest in design and try to figure out how does design fit into this technology-oriented ad company that is trying to expand into, you know, all kinds of things, really. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, you know, Irene Au, who is also a, a, a Zerb spoke, uh, soapbox speaker, was the head of uh, UX there, and I think at, at that point she had moved on. They, they started transitioning into this idea of beautiful, mm -hmm. of, of bringing beauty to um, a, a technical platform, basically. Um, how would you say that experience is working, you know, because Google has thousands of designers at this point now. Um, how does that, how does it work? How do you have that creative soul or vision go through a large system like that? Yeah. Is it possible? Or is this where systems and design can, can meet? Yeah. Or, or is it just finding a happy place of, or a happy medium that it is sort of, no pun intended there, uh, <laughs> that, that works across all of the different properties? Yeah, it is hard, and I think it's possible. And in large part, in large part, it happened at Google because at executive level, Larry was like, this is something that's very important, which a lot of people at that point had been kind of saying, but it was kind of pockets here and there, and it's hard to have like a global movement across all of Google um, just from one area. Um, but he was very much like, there was, a, there was somewhat of a mandate of like, this needs to happen. Here's a team that's going to plant the seed of it. You know, there was a team that came up with the um, kind of like the overall kind of brand and feel and the new components, but in a very like conceptual type of way. You know, like they had a couple of examples of like Google search whatever, and search team looked at it and was like, that's never going to work. You know, but um, but the, the soul was there, right? And then so there was very much like we're going to go in this direction, and also every team got a timeline. <laughs> it was very aggressive too. Like they were like, here's the scale products. Like by this time, you have to have moved over to this whole new template. So what does that mean? And so like. You know, as a designer on each of those, like it was very much like, okay, you have 
a concept, and then you have an actual working product. How do you mesh those two? And that's a very exciting time, because you could be like, OK, like, it's a time to clean up a lot of the stuff that wasn't so great before, to right. like, make things really consistent. There was a lot of back and forth between the teams of like, OK, here's a concept for Google Search that was beautiful and also like completely somewhat impractical for like the actual you know, what the page is trying to do and all the knowledge you have, the deep, deep knowledge about like, why things work and why not. And you have to apply it. And that was really interesting. So, I think every team um, kind of took that goal and made it their own. And like a lot of teams built upon it too. They were like, okay, you know, you have these components. We actually have this whole section that no, like, you know, like we had no guidance, so we're gonna like do the best we can, come up with like what we think is ideal, and then take it back to the team. And that kind of got folded back into more components. So it was very much like kind of this type of system that was right. happening. You know, and it took a long time, you know, it took a long time for everything to kind of be in that world. But at that point, we we're like, OK, we need like a component system. We need to like, talk to each other. We have to have like you know, standardization across. We don't have any processes really. So all that stuff just kind of happened because people needed to make it happen in like this amount of time. Right, right, right. So uh, part of our business is, uh, is helping people do this, is kind of realizing change and bringing it across the uh, system. So the question I have for you is you know, it's, it's sort of catalyzing or crystallizing and getting designers and a, a whole team focused around that transition and that new new way of approaching it is it's very invigorating as a designer, even if it is sort of very constraint-driven across an entire system, um, which I think in some ways it's easier for designers to do that because it's changed and it's, it's kind of pulling a rabbit out of a hat and saying, ta-da, right? So the question is, where does Google go now, right? Because now you've moved all these pieces. Are they ready to keep doing that as another system or a wave of change that needs to progress with yeah. the customers? Or do you think they're going to be more challenged with that effort? No, I think it has to move forward. And I think part of what happened with that move to be like, all right, we're going to, like, was like, one, like, design's really important. Like, everyone, this is not a thing that you can debate, like, period. Like, that's a thing, right? right. And then as part of that, I think the culture changed a little bit. And also hiring changed a little bit, right? It's just also, so you had a lot of engineers that, like, a lot of them were, like, real back-end engineers, brilliant people, but, like, the way they thought about things, they weren't as sensitive to, like, kind of the user experience in the UI. Um, and then you had designers who, like, you know, were trying to, like, push them in this direction. But now you had, like, a mandate of, like, okay, the, the details matter, the interaction matters, the overall user experience is very important and has to be consistent, and here are goals that are very important for the company. And so we actually started hiring, like, front-end engineers, like, that were very, you know, if you work with a front engineer who's, like, used to thinking about stuff like that, it's a very different experience, right? It's very right. much like, okay, now you have somebody who can make these things happen, and just it's a lot easier in that way. And also, I think hiring a di a wider uh, spread of designers, so, you know, like having like real dedicated visual designers, having people who are like focused on like motion design and stuff, gives you a much richer vocabulary to play with with just the skills on your team. And I think a lot of that is like, you know, like the company is it's people, right? right? Like you can work on all kinds of stuff, but like it depends on like the the people whether they have a unified goal. And if you have that, they will make it happen. So I right. think that was the main change. That's why I think like you know, knowing I have a lot of um, friends at Google, and I think that. You know, they're super talented and they have the right ideas, and I think it's slowly happening. So I, right. I think that'll get pushed more and more over time. So I know uh, Doug Bowman, and I use this example a lot, uh, was creative director at Twitter, was one of the first designers at, um, you know, visual designers mm -hmm. at, at Google, and it expressed frustration with the 42 shades of blue on a, on a link, right? Yeah. Data driven design. And um, where would you say they are now based on your experience there? Uh, is there some healthy balance between data driving the decisions, or is it still? Design's important, the designers need to say something, or is there sort of this mixture of the two? I mean, obviously, it's sort of like oil and vinegar yeah. sometimes mixing. It doesn't always work, uh, and someone has to kind of take a lead in the approach. Yeah. Well, I haven't been there for a while, so I don't know if it's a little different now, but my uh, the things that I, I know about what is going on there, I would say... Um, 
I would say that it varies a little bit from team to team. Because you know, Google's a big company, so like a team that's like working on Google Glass or like, you know, on Android, for example, is gonna be very different than like probably the ads world still, right? Because they just have different priorities and every team is is kind of different. Um, but like there's definitely very strong initiatives, like um, some of the material stuff is very it's very strong, design-driven. Like they set some really good patterns. It's very influential. And I think that team, for example, really um, the stuff that they create really like seeps into other teams very quickly. Um, so I think that amount of stuff is happening. I don't know how distributed it is across all of Google. I think it's right. like a work in progress. But there's yeah. definitely like an emphasis um, on stuff like that in various pockets. That um, yeah. Cool. It's definitely going on. Well, let's move on to Slack because I I think it's interesting to kind of juxtapose the sort of. Uh, a bigger design organization, which their design team is probably three times larger than your entire Slack team at this stage. Uh, uh, but Slack, in its own right, a multi-billion-dollar company. So for a lot of designers, that's still just a, that's a that's a big uh, company um, and trying to solve problems for. Uh, I know uh, Fast Company has written a, a lot about part of your design process. I'm curious, Stuart uh, Butterfield. I don't know. Most of you might know. Uh, started Flickr, and Flickr emerged out of um, sort of a gaming exercise, and I think it didn't go so well, and it turned into Flickr, which worked really well, and you know, I think he uh, perhaps regretted selling that maybe too soon or whatnot, but uh, you know, he started another business. Uh, what was the gaming company before it was Slack? Tiny uh, Spec. Tiny Spec. Glitch. The game was Glitch. The glitch, yes. And uh, again, another game influenced this idea of trying to get to a product. Um, I'm kind of curious with, with that, having someone that's so invested in the design process or, or sort of the build process, uh, how do you think that sets a tone for the culture? You know, because you've been in Medium, which Ev was also very design-centric, mm -hmm. right? And you were working at Google at the place where Sergey was making an initiative around design. Maybe juxtapose that kind of experience and a, a leader that's probably really, really focused on design and how that impacts the overall culture of, of the business. Yeah. Um... So I'd say the way that Stuart thinks about design, he thinks about it lot, he, he thinks he cares about the visuals and the overall like polish and stuff a lot too, but the thing that he even cares more about, and when you show a design to him, you better make sure that part is really solid, is it like what problem is it solving? Like what is the function that it's giving to people, right? Which is interesting because like it's not necessarily the thing that you would think of from a gaming background. But I think he's very like it's very purpose driven. It's like, is this going to solve something for our users? Is it gonna give them delight? Like what is the goal of this? Is it achieve it in the best way possible? That's the first thing he's gonna look at. And then secondarily, like after that he'll get into like the details of like, you know, is this experience polished and crafted and is it the right message and branding and stuff. But um, that I think is really interesting. He very much focuses on making sure that's there first. Do you think that transitions into how people interact with each other in their business, like the types of conversations they have or sort of where the lunch conversations go and sort of how people relate to each other? Is there sort mm -hmm. of a... Yeah, definitely. I think Slack has a real focus on like how can we move like fast and efficiently and, and do the right things at the right time. So a lot of like design conversations can vary into like you have like really beautiful experimental like North Star redesign everything type of situation, which is great and it's, it's a thing that has to happen. But I think at Slack is very much like, okay, we set time aside for that, but then we really have to be very practical around like, you know, what is the thing we can deliver right now? Like how does this build upon what we have? Like what is the strategic thing to do? So I think everybody thinks about the company and the product overall, and not so narrowly as in like, oh, I'm an engineer working on this. How do I make this the most impressive, you know, like best thing that it can be? You, have, you think about that in the context of like the overall team goals and, and product right. goals, and you know, and user and user like goals. And we were talking a little bit about this, um, 
you know, it's only recently you guys have introduced uh, PMs into the mix, right? So I'm, I'm guessing it's going to challenge some of those broader concepts of everyone has a say in something where people are sort of funneling conversations or directing conversations. Yeah. Have you seen any specific challenges with how that affects that sort of everyone pitches in? Is there someone that is the role of a PM have to be more specific to a Slack culture or is uh, bringing others, bringing outside experiences in from previous companies trying to structure conversations in much more maybe narrowly defined ways for the good of the company, but also maybe sometimes at the expense of sort of the serendipity that happens across different yeah. groups? Well, I think a, a really good PM is, is not like a really good PM at, at Slack versus otherwise. Like a really good PM is my like perfect PM, um, is someone who does both the product and the management, right? The, their, their job is not to be like, I know the answer. This is what we're going to do. Everyone get behind me. Let's go. It's very much like there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot of insight here. How do I channel that into the right thing to do? How do I like get people rallied around the right you know, concept? How do I take feedback and make sure it's heard? And if someone doesn't understand what we're doing, like, well, I should probably tell them why we're doing this you know, and explain in a way that even if they don't agree, they at least we have common ground of like, ah, I recognize that. I see why we're doing this. I see why the decisions are made and why we're going down this path. Even if not, everyone's not going to agree, but we can all we understand the reasoning for everything that we're doing. And I think a good PM does all of that, which is very important, right? Because you need you need at least somebody who's like there to like make sure everyone is focused and moving in the same direction and like have the right amount of process so we're all we all know what we're doing at the same time, and like you know why we're building this, and then you can execute much much faster than people being bringing up things like why are we doing this? Like I don't know what about this instead, you know? This right. really slows things down. So I think a good PM does that, and I think that's what a lot of the, the PMs at Slack are really good at doing. Yeah. Very cool. Um, you know, some of my readings of the early stages of Slack, and, and I'm just kind of curious of how you bring customer feedback into the mix. I know when you were first starting, there was a lot of um, putting this in front of customers and trying to work with them to get feedback. Um, one of, I think, my philosophies here at Zurb is that design is sort of sales. It, there's a component of both getting input mm -hmm. but also using design as a tool to engage people. And sometimes, are you selling? Are you getting feedback? It, it all seems sort of the same. And I'm curious, is that sort of initial piece in which sort of the product discovery and trying to get to the right mix of things is still part of the everyday now? Are you heavily invested in customer problems? Or is there sort of a different... Yeah. sort of phase of the business where you already know most of those problems. It's more of execution. Yeah. Slack is a little unique in that um, we have a thing called EDS, Everyone Does Support, which is everyone who works on the product. So if you're um, doing something that impacts the product overall, you should be spending at least an hour a week actually answering support tickets, like logging the Zendesk, looking at like a list of things, you know, picking the top one that's in your area, and actually going in and being like, what's the solution, talking with customers. And that builds so much empathy, right? There's only like so distance you can be if you're like actually reading through like a bunch of support tickets every week. Um, and you really understand like, you know, there's some little things that, you know, come, keep coming up and up. And they seem really small, but you're like, you know, this really makes or breaks somebody's overall experience with Slack. So that's one way in which like, I think everybody is somewhat tied into user feedback. And that stuff makes its way into all kinds of channels in Slack. Like you'll see somebody pop in design and be like, here's like an actual ticket. I think we should talk about that. It's like it roots everybody in an actual user problem, but it also just makes sure that we're, we're keeping it real, right? Because it's easy to like start extrapolating to like, oh, these imaginary customers are like, this is the way that I see it. And it's the way everybody else sees it, which is totally not true. So right. and Slack is a tricky product because it really is for all different kinds of teams, right? And so you have to start thinking like, OK, like I've, I've seen teams that use it like this very differently than teams that use it like that. And it's a nice way of understanding that. 
I mean, we also do research as well, more like kind of discovery research, especially around like, and like Slack is trying to build um, a version for like very large companies, like tens of thousands of people. And the first thing we did was like, how do companies of tens of thousands of people communicate and organize themselves? Because it's like big question mark. I don't know. Or like, so we actually did. Uh, we had a researcher go in and actually do a lot of studying around that, and she distilled that into like insights that we could actually take and put into the product. So more of like a structured study, less of just you know tickets here and there. <clears throat> All right. So I'm curious on this. So when I hear the word, everyone does an hour of work into something, which is almost impossible to manage, right? It becomes a cultural thing. How does that actually get implemented, right? Because that's kind of a rising tides thing of yeah, like yeah. one person does it, then two people do it, and three, and then everyone does it. But then there's accountability is really hard on those types of things. Yep. So how does that, I'd be curious to like how it actually manifests itself because there's going to be people that have super busy weeks and they're oh, like, yeah, I don't, totally, I totally. can't put the hour in. And then the other person says, and then, then all of a sudden now half the company's only putting in an hour. How do you maintain those types of things? Or, or is it possible to, to instill tasks as part of a cultural sort of piece of the company? Yeah, I think part of the success is that it has been there from the very, very beginning. Like overall, like just the way our customer experience team interacts with product is very strong. It's something that you don't see in a lot of places where like they'll be like, here, I hear a customer say this. And instead of, you know, product person being like, oh, okay, that sounds like a minor thing. We're not going to deal with that right now. It's very much like, okay, people will listen to them because it's like, really valuable, right? And that's always been part of the, the value of the values of a company. Um, and I think people used to, like when I started, it was like two hours a week. Um, and like uh, Dio, who I sit next to and also is a designer who works on platform, he's been there for, he's one of the first, he's the first designer in San Francisco. And he's like, I've never, ever missed a support shift. So I think I ruined him on it because I actually was like, one week I was like, oh, I missed I miss it this week. I try to do it by making it up some other times. And I'm like, not the greatest. Like, I'm not 100% on it. But he had never missed one. And then he was like, I skipped it for the first time. And I blame you. So I'm part of the problem, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I think you're right. It is, it is hard to keep doing it. We have some amount of accountability as in, like, you know, um, there are, like, stats for, like, of a particular team, like the design team, like what percentage of people actually completed the support shift. We have like support for support shifts, which is like, you know, tr additional training for people to do that. Some people try to do support shifts together. Um, I think it's a continual battle, but I, I think if, especially if like leadership and the, and the culture is like, this is a very important hour use of your time. Also, once you do it, you're like, this is actually a really useful hour of my time. Like, how do I? I want to know what people are saying about Slack. Well, you can go in and look at what people are saying about Slack. You know, right. there's no complaints. Like, there's you have immediate access to the fire hose of you know all all the customer feedback. So right, I think that's uh, that's always a challenge in a in a smaller business. So even at 400, that's you know relative to some big companies, uh, the the whole too many things. You know, it it starts becoming a smaller and smaller part of it, and people start thinking they need to fully focus on something. But mm -hmm. like you said, that 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 insight that you gain can have huge impact in just connecting with other people in the business because yeah. you have an insight and empathy for the customer problem. It's very cool. Um, so, so here's the thing that I want to ask because obviously everyone here has used, how many people have used Slack in the audience or, or know of it? Okay, so everyone's there, right? It's this magical thing that's technically been around for 15 years. It's a chat app, right? So what is it that makes this thing tick? Why all of a sudden now is it like, you solved this. What is the problem you solved that made this thing work? What, yeah. what is that? Well, I think part of it is it's a problem that is as old as time, communicating with people, you know, especially like now time because we're more distributed and there's a lot of people trying to do a lot of digital work at once. But just the problem of having to communicate with people and structure that communication in a way that's efficient 
It's a very powerful problem. And people are always looking for a better tool to do that. So a lot of it is like doing it better than the competition, like having emphasis on the right types of features. Like it can come down to as little as like, do we send a notification to people at the right time? Are you able to like, you know, be like, oh, this person, this person, this person needs to know, this person can, you know, like I'll tell them later, you know, something like even something as small as that, if you do it just right, like that makes a really big difference. Cause like People have to use this tool day in and day out. You know, those little right. things matter. And I think also the personality and brand of it matters a lot. Like, you know, especially as like design has, it's, it's definitely changed over time. It's like, cause like you said, there's a lot of products that do very, very similar things. So the differentiator really becomes like, what is the promise of this beyond just the functions? Like, do you trust the team to like, you know, if, if the product promises to be really fast, right? How fast is it? Is it like really consistent? Like, does it deliver on that? Like Slack right. has a very specific personality. It's going to treat you like a human being, which, you know, it's hard to find an enterprise product, right? right? And that's part of the thing. People are like, I want to be treated like a human being. If we keep delivering on that in every aspect, I think that creates a feeling. And, and you using Slack feels very different than you using like HipChat or something that's in some ways, very, very similar, just because of those little things. But they have to be very consistent, and you have to like deliver on those things. Right. Um, some of you might know Andrew Wilkinson, uh, who's also an uh, acquaintance and friend of mine uh, from Metal Lab, had, had written a post on this as design being a significant part of the differentiation of the success of Slack, or at least playing some, some role in it. Maybe his words were taken out of context a little bit, and part of it is you know, it's a consultancy, so you're constantly having to sell your, your services. Um, I know your competitor, someone from uh, Atlassian and, and Matt Bond, saying, hey, no, that's total bull crap. It's, it's a much bigger picture. Um, I think you're kind of speaking to both points, which is like specific details that you get right, which design influences. And then there's sort of this bigger brand play of treating people like human, which design in a different context plays. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, it's the success of the people executing and, and maintaining all of those pieces up and down the business. Mm -hmm. uh, would you agree or, you know, in that sort of, question of how design played a role in the success of the business. Is, is design kind of a broad term of, of sort of we're all thinking about these problems? Or you know, I think when people think of design, sometimes it's like more of the window dressing or sort of the interface piece of the equation. I mean, I mean it's both, right? I think a lot of it is, I mean, you can, you can feel craftsmanship in a product, right? Like you might not, a, a regular user might not be able to be like, oh, use this font, like these fonts in a really harmonious way. And you know, like I love these ligatures. But they'll get a sense of like, this feels really polished. It feels trustworthy. I feel like I want to use it. And that's where a lot of craftsmanship comes in. That's where a lot of the design details and transitions that people may not notice, but it's there and they feel it. But I think you know, you can have that in a product and nobody will use it because it doesn't actually do the thing that you want. Yeah. And you can have like a really like ugly product that people love using because you know it does the thing and maybe it's free, you know. So like you need both, but you might you need like the core of what it's trying to do first, and then you make it as as enchanting as possible. Right, yeah. right. I mean, we were on HipChat, and we actually moved to Slack. So from my perspective, it's about the same. I don't know. But the design team, <laughs> design team really likes Slack, and I'm, I'm happy with it. It's good. It's, uh, you know, it's helpful. Um, I'll show you some features later on. You're going to show me. All right, yeah. that's cool. Slack has so many power features. That's another thing that we're trying to do, because it's like, if, if you know how to use a power Slack, it's like amazing. But uh, yeah. they um, make a, lot, of a lot of it is secret. Like We like to have secret things. Like uh, in and out burgers, animal style, right? Well, like so swipe like... gestures on mobile. You tried those? <laughs> yeah. Try um, so then what is design then? If, if sort of, I think you're kind of saying, yeah, it's, it's all of those things, and it's bigger deta uh, smaller details and bigger. How would you define, at least design maybe in Slack's context? How do, how do you look at it? Is it 
is it a group? Is it sort of how everyone thinks about the problem? Is it bringing in customers? Like, what? How would you say? I want to say all of those things probably. I mean, I, okay. So specifically, design. I think um, the role of a designer or design mindset um, in the the course of a, like a product or like like a feature, right, is in a couple different areas. I think the first part is actually being able to see it from a user's point of view and being able to um, create the story flows around like, you know, you could have a feature, you could have functionality, you're like, this is going to do it, but you don't really understand it until you get a sense of like, this is a user, this is what they're trying to do, this is how they step through this, this feature, this is their experience, their actual experience through Slack. And if you get those stories right, it makes everything so much clearer, right? Because those can be very difficult to be like, what are the three most important things that we're trying, the three most important like stories that we want to get right, you know? Um, I think that's number one, just helping visualize that from a user's point of view. And then a lot of it is just then finding the, the best like interaction for those users, like the design components, the overall, like, you know, is it easy to use? Is it, you know, discoverable? Is it just the right amount of emphasis? A lot of the, the, the craftsmanship of design um, as part of that. And I think it's also a designer's role to make sure that gets shipped and real. You know what I mean? Because you can, you have, like, there's some wonderful designers who can make, like, just, you're like, that's amazing. That's never going to ship, you know? Like, right. that's, that's, that's sad, right? I think a designer that's has dribble. to, like, <laughs> uh, you need to make these beautiful. You make beautiful things, but you also have to be like, okay, how how do I get this to actually? You know, like it, design is done when like someone's using it, right? And so, like I think a lot of the challenges of being a designer is trying to figure out like, okay, what is what's the right way for me to communicate this design? Like, do I need to scope it down a little bit? Scope it up a little bit? Like, what is the actual thing that we can ship in the right amount of time to make users' lives better as quickly as possible? Um, so I think, that, and that's the hardest part. I right. find you know you, you can like beautiful design is its, its own like craftsmanship, but like also this, how do you deliver it is is really hard. So let's get to this last question because I think then it it asks, well, what does a design lead do? You know, because if it's about trying to get something that people are using, uh, at Zurb we have paired designers, design leads, and designers working uh, together to get to an end result. And it sounds like you have something very similar, at least um, from what I've read. Um, what is the role of a design lead in that context of, of the details matter, doing things? Are, are you contributing to the actual implementation? Are you guiding yeah. through decision making? Are you hands off? Are, you, are your hands dirty? Are you making business decisions along the way? Or is that only a, a PM's role? What, yeah. what is the role of a design lead? And, and maybe just in there is sort of where you think your career is going or what, what will you be solving in the future? Is it more of the same or is it? Do you, do, you, do you go up an executive ladder? What, yeah. what does that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that currently, like the things that I try to do as a design lead um, is for my uh, area to think about, like, to have an understanding of what is actually going on. Like, what, what are the, the company's overall goals? How do they affect the goals of this particular area, right? And understand, like, what are the projects in flight? What are people thinking about? Just get a sense of, like, okay, what is... What is the value and what is the opportunity and do we really understand as a design team, right? Because you don't want to be disconnected from the overall company's goals. Because you design beautiful things, again, they'll never ship. So, you know, that's, that's very sad. So um, understanding that and then making sure your design team all kind of understand that are integrated, that are having, you're having conversations um, in the right places with PMs and with engineers and that you're all on the same page. So I think that's the most important thing. So you want to make sure that foundation is there. And then another thing we've been doing is kind of working on process around like when do we bring design in, um, what kind of deliverables or questions are we answering at each phase. Um, so not like not more process, but like just better process that makes it really transparent for people so they can focus on delivering the right thing at the right time. Um, so 
working with um, our, our IPM partners on defining that. And it's like an ever-evolving thing, right? I right. think every iteration we have, we find something that could be better, and then we do a retrospective and then change that again. So where are you going to go with that? Like, what's, like, how do you progress with that? Are you going to keep doing more at a, at a bigger product level, or does it, uh, you... I don't know. See, the beautiful thing with Slack is that it's a different company every three months. Like, it really is, because like, the, the scale of the problems are different, the size of the team is different, um, the ability of what you can do is different. So actually, I don't really know. I think I'll just continue and try to like, make sure you know, that mm, the design team is just banging out really awesome designs as well as possible, and you don't have the headaches of like, oh, we're not doing the right thing. What's, you know, like, what is, is this disconnect? Just making sure everything is connected so people can do the best design work of their lives. You know? That's the goal. That's my Awesome. Goal. I hope so. <laughs> That's an ambitious uh, company with a lot of amazing things going on, and I know you affect a lot of people's lives. That's, that's incredible. So I'd like to thank, I'll open up to a couple of questions, but I want to thank you for your efforts here. Uh, It's, it's nice to hear authenticity and being able to understand a little bit about how things actually work. So a um, couple questions. I know she has some time uh, right after, so I know people have busy schedules. We'll, just, we'll take a couple questions here and then uh, get you guys on your way. What is it about human beings that you keep having to remind yourself of in, in design? Yeah. Like, I forget people are like this. Yeah, well, you know, a human being, you know, it's hard being a human being. You got a lot of emotions, you're trying to do things, you're like, you know, there's like five things going on in your head at one time, and you're just trying to get this one thing done, and you're probably distracted in the middle of it, right? So a lot of it is just putting yourself in a position where you have empathy for that particular user you're designing for, um, and just exercising that muscle over and over again, you know, and reminding other people when you talk about a problem to like, okay, we're going to all ground ourselves in this state, and then we're going to talk about this problem. My answer is people are just chaotic, so start there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyone else have a question? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so our organization uses Slack very heavily, but um, one thing I noticed is that notifications are needed when you like actually want to ping someone, right? But at the same time, people hate like ad channels, and when they people like have a really pet peeve of um, being notified when their name is mentioned and things like that. So um, in a design sort of a way, what's sort of a way to sort of, if I'm a user and I'm notified, like what's, what's a design kind of a way to solve that problem of me being annoyed? <laughs> okay, annoyance. <laughs> may, may, maybe find a different company? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the, the root cause, I think the root cause of your problem is not that like, you know, you need to be able to mute on notifications, which is probably not the right, would cause other issues, it's that Slack needs to, well, Slack needs to help a company adopt the right amount of paying people, right? You know, like, I'm not going to go up to somebody and be like, hey, hey, you know, like, interrupt you at your desk, right? Slack needs to convey the right amount of, like, is this person busy? And they're, like, D&D &D mode is something that we tried, like, this person is focusing. Do not interrupt them. If you try to, we'll be like, this person is focusing. Do you really want to interrupt them? You know, and same with, like, at channel. Like, there's, like, shouty rooster. I don't know if you've seen this dialogue. If you try to, like, at, um, at channel a place that's, like, you know, 100 people, Shouting Rooster will be like, do you really want to do that? It's, it's highly unlikely you want to do that. Do, you, know, you might not want to interrupt this many people. So I think inserting design in a way that's like, reminds you of the humanity of you know, what you're trying to do, what you're actually doing, just because the software doesn't mean it's any different. Does the software have to solve that problem? I, I think oftentimes, sometimes people think software is supposed to solve all of the problems. Mm -hmm. In this case, it's more the culture and maybe a rule set than yeah. trying to establish those ground rules outside of the software. Yeah, well, it's not just like, you know, companies purchase Slack not because they want another IRC. They purchase Slack because they're like, oh, 
I want the culture. I want this like, like organizational transformation that I see like, you know, that's the promise, right? And so when you, when you ship software, you, maybe you have to ship some education, you have to ship some things along with it that aren't software at all, but that's as much of the product as anything else. Right, all right, one more question, one more question. So you guys have a lot of hidden features. Is discovery of those features a really big focus at Slack? And how are you guys tackling that problem? Uh, yeah, it's definitely a focus. I think some of the features were built kind of over time because someone was like, ah, this is painful. And an engineer solve that problem. So I think it's like, like how, how many people does this affect? Like what is the right amount of time to do it? So I think we're, we're actually focusing on building structures that are flexible for like, you know, onboarding, continual education. And once we have those in place, we'll do a lot of like A-B testing around like what is the right thing for which types of companies. And then we also have a team working on like algorithms and intelligent learning. That's actually probably the right way to do it because then it, it will scale just right to the right kinds of teams at the right time. So it's a work in progress. You gotta build like each layer, yeah, at the right time. All right, that's awesome. Thank you much uh, for spending your time. I'm gonna get everyone to cheer for you, and then I'm gonna take a selfie with you with the audience behind us. So. <laughs> Perfect. All right, nicely done, Dina. <laughs>